And that ties in with where we're at this morning and train to disciple part three. If you remember, we were going through uh, eight parts uh, in several weeks anyway on basically a history through the Bible. And as we do so, this is teaching us to prepare for specifically in October where we're going to invite the community in for a harvest party, a part of the missions conference, and we're going to have the opportunity to share the gospel with them. But it is primarily on top of that for the objective that we would fulfill. And that is the main objective of the church. And this is why we exist. Not only is it the main objective of the church, it is the main objective of each and every individual. The way we worship God is by obeying His commands. And the one command that He left us to fulfill is that we would make disciples and training them in all things that He has commanded us. You see, that is what we ought to be doing. But today, as we come to this passage, we realize that there is an obstacle, and that is sin. And that is the secondary title. I didn't put it on here, but Train to Disciple Part 3, The Reality of Sin. This C, the second C that we're going to look at, is corruption. And that is what has taken place in our world today. Of the, many, of the main reasons we shy away from sharing our faith and fulfilling our main objective, one of them is that we are afraid of the questions concerning evil. When you get ready to share the gospel with somebody who you know has been through a difficult time, what is the main thing that runs through your mind and what prevents you from sharing your faith? Can I give you the question? The one we fear the most? How can a loving God allow cancer? How can a loving God allow murder or suicide or rape or death or suffering? How could a loving God allow that? How could He cause that? You see, we realize as Christians the emotional impact that these terrible things have on a soul that was originally created to last forever. Yet, the face of the one crying out in front of us is unbearable. Now, they may respond in tears, weeping, why would God allow this? Or they may respond in anger, how dare God allow this? So how do we address it? Let me read you some headlines from this week to put this a little more in perspective. This was Friday afternoon. I went on, typed in foxnews.com. These are four headlines pulled right off. Ten seconds. Here they are. Four arrested and death of girl locked inside of a box. Death toll in Norway attacks rises to 77. Military chaplains mull the end of don't ask, don't tell. Jeffs defends polygamy in sex assault trial. I want to ask you a question. Where do we live, people? Where do we live? You see, we live in a world that is filled with violence. It's filled with hate. It's filled with anger. Was this the world God created? You see, there's a problem with the world today. And it's not God's problem. That is what we deal with today. The idea I want us to focus on is this. The corruption of man caused sin, death, and struggling to enter a once perfect creation. You see, on Sunday nights, 
And last week on Sunday morning, we looked at God's miraculous design in creation. And we continue to look into it on Sunday night. Tonight we're going to deal with day five. The birds of the air and the fish of the sea. Marvelous creation. And yet all of that was tainted sometime after day seven. By the corruption of man. This is a topic that does not draw out crowds. You won't hear uh, mega preachers preaching on sin or our fault in it. You're not going to hear Joel Olstein when you go home and watch him on TV preach on sin. I'm sorry. He's not going to do it. Not really, anyway. But this is a message you and I need to hear because this is at the root of everything that's wrong in our world today. And so as we go um, before this subject, before this passage, we're going to look at both here in Genesis chapters 2 and 3, as well as in Romans 5 and Romans 8. As we do so, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, as I prepared for this message this week, there was the striking distinction from Genesis chapter 3, of where we left off in the end of Genesis chapter 1. Lord, there is no way that I can even begin to describe the immensity of the distinctions. But in my feeble attempts this morning, I pray that you would challenge our hearts so much that we would recognize that while the world blames you, it is not you. You provided the way of redemption, not the reason for it. Help us to understand this so well that we can communicate it this week as we share the gospel with those that we come in contact with out at the fair in the line to ride a ride or in the line to eat a hot dog whatever it happens to be i pray that you would use this as an opportunity for us to share the gospel with clarity and with passion this week help us to fulfill our main objective to make disciples and to train them up in all that you have commanded us Lord, we love you and we thank you because as we look at today's message, we realize the significance of why Christ had to come and what was actually done for us on the cross. Lord, we thank you for it. In your son's name we pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but I come before this topic with somewhat of a heavy heart. And I mentioned that this was going to be a difficult message for me. I've got different things in mind. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like when I'm done, even yet. Uh, I want to be stunningly shocking to you. But I also don't want to be so over the top that we miss the point. I come before this passage, this topic with a heavy heart, but it's not a hopeless heart. Because I know that God's plan entails a Savior coming and dying for us to take the penalty that was occurred on this day that we're going to study, taking our penalty and freeing us from the slave market of sin. And then one day He's going to call us home in the resurrection to meet Him in the clouds. You see, I know the end. But just because I know the end does not soften the blow of where we are today. God's stunningly perfect creation, His stunningly perfect creation is about to experience death, suffering, thorns, cancer, murder, and deceit. But before we get there, we need to see the progress. So we begin 
with Adam hearing the command. We need to know what he heard so that we can understand how he violated what he heard. So that we understand, one, how to avoid sin in our own lives. And two, how to reach out to those who do not know Christ as Savior. Secondly, we're going to need to understand the consequences. We need to see if Adam understood them. Because if Adam didn't understand them, then God is an unjust God, and we know that not to be true. So we know that God made clear to Adam, and we have the record of it. So we can be made clear to you and I as well. So we need to understand the consequences. And finally, you and I today are experiencing the cost. You see, you and I are living with the effects of what Adam did, but not just Adam, you and I as well, Romans tells us, and we're going to look into that as we get into there later. You see, we need to hear the command, but we also need to understand the consequences, and we need to recognize that you and I right now are experiencing the cost. So when we go and share the gospel with someone who says, how dare God do this to me? We say, you know what? I have an answer for evil. Did you know that every single religion or cult in the world agrees on one thing? There is something wrong with you and I. They all agree. They all agree that you and I have a problem. And that they as well (laughs) have a problem. They all agree there's something wrong with us. The difference is only biblical Christianity has the answer. And so we're going to look into that answer, both today and over the next several weeks. So let's begin by hearing the command. Uh, Actually, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 1. Before we go to Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, as we hear the command and we see a perfect creation. Here we're going to go through the process, the progress as we move through. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, God is speaking and God, or God is uh, looking and God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. We have six days of creation, all accounted for us in Genesis chapter 1. We're in day 5 currently on Sunday nights. But here at the end of day 6, we find that God created a creation that is absolutely perfect. God looks over all of the work that was accomplished, not just on day 6, but the entirety of the creation, and especially on day 6, and He says, it is very good. When God looked over His creation, He said, this is exactly what I wanted. Now I want to ask you, as a fallen human being, as a sinner, not God, as finite man, when you look around the world today, death, suffering, cancer, thorns, painful childbirth, and on and on, would you say that this creation is very good? So if God said, who is absolutely perfect, absolutely holy, absolutely just, said, it is very good, was there death? No. Was there cancer? No. Were there thorns? No. Was there painful childbirth? No. And yet they all exist today. So what happened? But beyond that, I want to take it a step further. Chapter 2. Because not only was it a perfect creation, but Adam and Eve were placed in a pristine environment. A pristine environment. Genesis chapter 2. 
We're going to look at verses 8 through 10. A little earlier in the chapter, we're going to get to 15 through 17 here in a moment. A little earlier, verse 8 of Genesis chapter 2, 8 through 10. And listen to how God created a place for man. It says, The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden. And there He placed the man whom He had formed out of the ground. The Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divided and became four rivers. I want to ask you a question. Consider this beautiful place. Consider it. It is splendid. It is majestic. Look at verses 15 and 16. This is getting into where I want to be. It says, And the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden, the garden of Eden, to cultivate it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat. Consider the place. You and I can't even begin to fathom it. But I want you to think about it for just a little bit. Consider the place. If you had someone design you had someone design and build the perfect place for you, there would be no limitations for budget, weather, or coats. Okay? The perfect place. And this person had the ability to build it quickly. What would you look for? The perfect place? The perfect builder? I would want someone who knew me well, right? You'd want someone who, who knew what you wanted. They have their idea of what you want, but you have your idea of what you want. You'd want someone who knew you well. Well, how well did God know Adam? God knew Adam better than Adam knew Adam. God knew Eve better than Eve knew Eve. So, as we recognize this, we recognize that the builder who knew us well would make no mistakes that he had to come back in a month and repair. You would have the ability to build it quickly and it would be exactly what I desired. Now you and I know that that in our sinful world is not possible in a human standpoint. But in a perfect environment, God built the garden. Having made Adam, knowing Adam better than Adam knew Adam, imagine the beauty and the absolute perfect environment for God to walk with His special creation. Why was the garden created? So that God could walk with man. What a marvelous environment. A pristine garden. God made it for His special creation. It had everything man could ever want. And beyond. But there's a simple test. The simple test comes in verse 17. God tells Adam, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day that you eat from it you will surely die. You see, every tree in the garden but one was good for man to eat from. Every single tree in the garden was beautiful. Every single tree was pleasing to the eyes. But there was one tree that Adam and Eve were not to eat from. 
Out of the hundreds or more like thousands of trees in this perfect environment, there was only one law, one tree that they must not eat from. Is creation still very good with this one test? Yes, it absolutely is. Because guess what day it is? This is still day six. God is not done yet with day six. Yes, it's in Genesis chapter two, but God's recounting the details of his creation. So we have Genesis chapter one that gives us the outline. We have Genesis chapter two that fills in the important places. And as we recognize this, this is still day six. God has made the garden. He's told Adam, I want you to take care of it. I want you to know that there's one tree you should not eat from. And oh, by the way, I'm going to make this environment even better for you. I'm going to create woman. And he created woman. And then God said it was very good. So with this test, God said that his creation was very good. Adam was responsible to pass the test of holiness. Was Adam perfect? Yes. But it was an untested perfection. Had not yet been uh, evaluated. And so Adam has the opportunity, sin or not to sin. He has the free choice. And you and I still have that free choice today. We can choose to follow God or we can choose to reject God. And that was basically the decision that Adam has to make. (laughs) Excuse me. But there's a tendency in us, because of sin, to blame someone else for our failures. I want you to do a test for me. As football season comes on, I want you to pay attention when a wide receiver is asked the question, why didn't you catch that pass? It It was there, why didn't you catch it? And his answer will be, it's the quarterback's fault. He didn't throw it right. Or the ball was wet, or whatever it happens to be. He's going to blame somebody else. Ask a politician why they broke the law that they themselves are sworn to uphold, and they will say, what is the definition of is? So we should be very careful to see the garden as it was. Perfect. Pristine. Exactly what Adam and Eve wanted, needed, and desired. That was the garden. God didn't set them up to fail. God didn't say, I'm going to put only one good tree and the rest you can't eat from, and guess which tree it is. If you guess wrong, you're a sinner. No. He said there's thousands of trees, all pleasing to the eyes, good for food. You can eat of all of them except that one tree, and that's the tree. Don't eat from it. You see, God didn't set them up to fail. Man made that choice. So let's see if they knew the consequences. Let's see what Adam understood. Let's go on in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. Because I want you to recognize God's clear statement. God makes a statement that is very, very clear. For you and I, we don't see it. We don't see as much meaning because we don't understand how God said it. Uh, but in Hebrew, we see it. So in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17... Now let me read it again. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. God makes a very, very clear statement. By the way, God doesn't beat around the bush. God doesn't say, oh, I know you're all sinners, but if you just act a little good and I'll accept you. He doesn't say that. He says, no, you're all sinners. And as a result of sin, the wages of sin is death. God's very clear. God doesn't muddy the waters for us. God doesn't say, oh, well, there might be seven or eight. If you just follow this path, you might get to heaven. No, he says, uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man should come to the Father but by me. 
God is very, very clear. And He's very, very clear here to Adam. And this is what He says. He says this, If you eat from the tree, you will surely die. Now, when God writes a law, there's no 1,100 pages that no one read for the law to be passed, right? One simple sentence. Just don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or you will surely die. There is likely, as we think about this tree, there's likely nothing wrong with the tree that had all of the character qualities of a normal tree nor was there any special insight that the tree would give. No, the way that they would know good and evil was by experiencing it. God would allow them, because of their sin, would cause them the separation. They would begin to die slowly in the evil, something that they had not yet experienced. So, could they have gained knowledge by walking with God? Absolutely. They walked with God in the coolness of the day. They could have gained the wisdom. They could have gained the knowledge as God imparted it to them. But this tree gave them the ability to experience the other side. That which they had not yet experienced. So did God know that Adam would sin? Here's a question that you will be asked. Did God know that they were going to sin? Yes, God knew they were going to sin. So why would God allow such a test? Why would God allow such a test? But you see, you just tried to answer the wrong question. Because it should be asked, how could man fail such a menial task? How could man fail such a simple test? It's not, how could God know that they were going to fail? How did He give them the test? It's, how in the world could man fail it? If you were given a one-question test on your driver's exam, would you ever fail it if they gave you the answer beforehand? By the way, you should turn right. And the question is, what way should you turn? How could you fail that test? And yet man fails it. Man fails it. So let's not blame God. Also, Adam was man's representative. And as such, if you were given the opportunity, you would fail too. So don't go blaming Adam either. Remember what I I set us up just a moment ago. If a wide receiver missed a football, he's going to blame the quarterback. I'm telling you, that's not acceptable. It's not acceptable for us in evangelism. And it's not acceptable for an unbeliever to say, well, it was Adam's fault or it was God's fault. No, sin is not God's fault. The consequences of sin, Adam holds some of that to bear, but so do you. You swung the hammer that drove the nail in Christ's hand just as much as Adam did. So if you were given the opportunity, you too would fail. So let's not blame Adam. We all played the part in nailing our Savior to the cross. So let's understand Adam's understanding. What is it that Adam would understand? God said this. God said, you will surely die. Now there's a whole bunch of meaning wrapped up into these uh, two words that are two words in our language. It's one word in Hebrew. The word for surely die means that they would be in active state of separation. In other words, 
They would begin the process of death. They would begin the process of separating from God, but it wouldn't take effect all the way completely, immediately. You see, it would last for a while. So when God said, you will surely die, Adam knew that they were going to start a process of something they had never experienced. Knowing the pristine and perfect creation, Adam would say, you know what? I don't want to experience what God is saying. There's no possible way, I don't think, that Adam could have fully comprehended what death was. However, he could have fully comprehended that it wasn't what he was living at the present time. And so Adam could have said, you know what? I don't see death. My skin doesn't show it. My hair doesn't show it. I don't see death at all. I'm in a perfect environment. And what God is saying is that if I want to live the opposite, I eat from the tree. So did he know the consequences? Absolutely he knew the consequences. If you live in a perfect environment... You may not fully understand what the environment is like on the other side, but you know that it's not good. And Adam knew that it was not good. You see, Adam knew nothing had done what God said would happen. Adam knew nothing had died yet. That means that everything he could see would do the opposite of what they were currently doing. Death would bring immediate separation, but it would also bring a slow, ripping separation of the body from the spirit. Adam knew because what God had created was perfect and enjoyable. Whatever death was, was the opposite of what God had created. So Adam knew. He knew clearly. Now I'm going to skip ahead due to time, but read these chapters and see the process of temptation and sin take hold. We'll also look into these things in a few weeks on Sunday evening, but today I want us to go to the cost. I want us to go to the cost. Because the first cost is immediate separation. Look at Genesis chapters, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that, there was a, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and covered themselves and made themselves loin coverings. I want to talk about the immediate separation, but as we do so, I want you to see the pursuit. Oops, the pursuit of sin. That's not on there. Now, the pursuit of sin. Notice quickly with me verse 6. Verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. Now, there's a lot we're going to get into on Sunday night that I can't hear. A couple things I want you to understand. There's two things that Eve leaves out. By the way, the serpent only speaks twice. But there's two things that Eve leaves out. One, she adds to it, and one, she takes away from it. She says that if you touch it, well, God didn't say anything about touching it. They could have touched it. They could have played football with it, for all we know, and it wouldn't have killed them. They wouldn't have died. But then Eve takes away something. And Satan adds it back. What Eve took away was the word surely. 
But Satan brought it back. So Satan took and twisted what God had said, having already seen Eve twist what God had said. So we've already got a problem. But that's a discussion for another day. The discussion I want to have is I want you to consider verse 6. Verse 6, I'm going to break it apart. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Now stop right there. I just read to you from Genesis chapter 2. Was all the trees in the garden good for food? Yes. Every single tree. Thousands and thousands and thousands of trees in the Garden of Eden. And every single one of them but this tree were good for food. So continue on. Verse 6 says uh, that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes. I just read to you from Genesis chapter 2. Was every single tree in the garden a delight to the eyes? Yes. Every single tree in the garden was a delight to the eyes. Are these two excuses? Who's she blaming? Already she's starting to blame somebody. She hasn't even committed sin yet, and she's already blaming somebody. She's saying, you know what? This tree is more desirable than all of God's perfect, pristine creation. It's impossible. So let's go on, because now we get to the root of it. This tree was desirable to make one wise. What did this tree have that the other trees didn't? This. But was it a deception? Yes. What a cheap substitute. Every one of the hundreds, even thousands of trees in the garden was good for food, and it was desirable to the eyes. This one would make you wise. No, it wouldn't. That was only done through the daily walks in the garden with your Creator. You see, if Eve wouldn't have short-circuited the plan, if Eve would have said, no, I can receive all the wisdom I need if I just ask my Creator. If Adam would have said, no, you know what? That tree doesn't make you wise. That's just a tree. It's just fruit. No, instead, I'm going to walk in the coolness of this night with my Savior God, my Creator God. But is that like you and I? Would the microwave have been invented if that was like you and I? No, I want it now! Oh, good, I woke everybody back up. I want it now. I want it. I wanted it yesterday. And that's how Eve is. And she's not even a sinner yet. She goes, I want it now. The catch was this. I could do it immediately and I could become like God now. And I could do it without God. Boy, doesn't that sound like Ezekiel and Isaiah? In the description of the serpent's fall, Satan's fall, I could become like God. I am like God. You see, the result of that self-made justification was when Adam eats, their eyes are opened. Not to enlightenment, not to some greater being, but rather to their shame and to their sin. What a telling statement. Their sin and their shame. The former things were tainted and infected. And for the first time, their skin itched. And cells began to die. 
Their hair started to itch because no longer was it living. It was dead. And all are infected. Turn to Romans chapter 8. I'm going to leave you there because I don't want us to blame Adam and Eve. I want you to blame you. Romans chapter 8, verse 22 says, For we know that the whole of creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. You see, Adam's sin infected everything in creation. Now when you grow things in your garden, you have to pull weeds, some with thorns. No longer will it just grow. You have to tend it and help it along. That didn't happen in the garden. You wouldn't have needed a a hoe or a rake in the garden. But we do now. You see, the screams of those who suffer death, who suffer loss, who are engaged in a cancer that is racking their whole body, all were induced by sin caused by man. You see, this was the image in the garden. You have the lion and the lamb, and they're both coming up to Adam. You see, this was God's perfect creation. But then this happened. Animals eating animals. Death is brought into God's perfect creation. Animals now leave their perfect design and they begin to eat each other. Death now reigns in what was in once. Death now reigns in what was once perfect, without it. Interestingly enough, to tie into our creation as well as into sin, they find fossils that are filled with cancer. Where did that come from? Sin. They find animals eating animals. Where did that come from? Sin. But lest we dwell too long on this, I want you to look over at chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Scripture there says something that's very telling about you and I. And I don't want you to miss it. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death spread through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. You know why there's death, suffering, disease, illness, sicknesses of different types today? Because all sinned. Death spread to all, not just through Adam's sin, but because you and I have each one committed our own personal sins. You and I are guilty of striking the blows that caused death to reign in this day. So like Paul in Romans chapter 7, I want you to turn over there briefly. I want to read Paul's struggle with this. Romans chapter 7, just a page or two away, verses 18 through 20. Read what Paul is struggling with. 
He says, so now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh, for the thing, or for the willing, uh, sorry, for the willing is present in me, but the doing is of good is not. For the good that I do, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing that I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. You see the conflict. You have Paul who's saying, I want to do something, but I can't do that. I want to serve the Lord, but I can't do that. I don't want to do sin, but I am doing it. We have this this struggle. You and I are guilty of striking the blows that cause death to reign in this time. Now, we can't say an individual has sinned who has cancer. I mean, they've sinned, but that may not be the reason they have cancer. We know that there is some of that, but mainly in believers. In 1 Corinthians, believers were dying and were sick because of their sin. But as we look at the general population, we can't say that it was their sin that caused that. It was all of our sin that caused that. But then something happened. Chapter 5, verse 21. I'm going to end here. Romans chapter 5, verse 21. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin entered into this earth, this perfect creation by one man. Sin was taken care of by one man, the last Adam, Jesus Christ. The reality that we face today in making disciples is that we must answer the issue and the questions of evil. Many in our world are turned off from God because we have coddled them with past encounters. We've told them, oh, it's not really all that bad. Instead of telling them the truth, we just say, trust in Jesus. Should we trust in Jesus? Absolutely. But let's deal with the issue of sin. Let's get to the heart of it. So many people are walking away from the church because the church only has this answer. They say, why is there sin? Why is there death? Why is there cancer? And we say, trust in Jesus. That's not going to get it, folks. We can't do that. Because before we can tell them to trust in Jesus, we must tell them that you and I are dying from a disease that is terminal. We are dying from a disease that is incurable by human standards. And that disease takes on the face of cancer. It looks like thorns. It looks like suffering. It looks like child abuse. It looks like murder. It looks like rape. Let's be honest with them. Let's open up the curtains and let the light of Christ do the cleansing of the revealed sin curse. Let's quit telling them, let's trust in Jesus. And tell them, you know what? You're a sinner who needs somebody to come along and pay your price. Because the sin that's in your life today is the sin that is causing the cancer. It is the sin that is causing the disease. It is the sin that is causing the suffering. And God's perfect environment, which we will one day again enjoy if you know Him as Savior, it is not that way. And so let's tell them their sin and let's tell them where we're going. And let's not be ashamed of it and hide behind the statement, let's just trust in Jesus. Make sure that they place the blame where it belongs. 
Now, somebody whose body is racked in cancer, you're not going to go up to them and say, which has been the error of some in the past, by the way, your sin caused your cancer. No, that's not the statement. That's not the statement. The statement is, sin caused cancer. It's not your sin. We all have committed it. We're all guilty of it. And this is creation's way of saying, you know what? Something's not right. There's something else out there. There's something greater. There's something missing because this is not what we were created for. Let's be careful as we come before this table here before me that we do so in a manner in which puts proper perspective on our sin. And it causes us to understand that God didn't create sin, but He sure as heck dealt with it. And you and I can accept that. But you and I have to make the choice that was similar to the one in the garden. Are you going to accept the free gift of life? Or are you going to eat from the microwave tree? See, that's the question we have to answer. You can become like God, at least in your own mind, but you aren't Him. And for the rest of eternity, you're going to be reminded of that. Let's not let this week at the fair go by without us sharing the truth of the gospel message. And the gospel doesn't start with trust in Jesus. The gospel starts in God's perfect creation. Moves through man's terrible corruption of it. Man's messed it up. But God's coming back. He already has to redeem us. And He's coming back to take us to that perfect environment. As I close in prayer, I'm going to ask if my elders and Travis, if you would come forward as we partake in the Lord's table before me. But as we do so, I challenge you to deal with sin personally today. Spend some time today, just you and the Lord. Get alone with the Lord and deal with sin in your own life. Be prepared for this week. I guarantee if you start to share your faith, people are going to ask you the questions, what do you do with evil? They, they're not accusing you. They want to know, what do you do with evil? So tell them. Tell them what the biblical answer is. Otherwise, you're putting a band-aid on it and saying, just trust in Jesus. Let's deal with it seriously. Let's confess it before the Lord. Each one of us individually. And let's be bold about sharing our faith this week. Let's pray. Father, as we bow our heads before you now, we can't even begin to fathom the perfect, wonderful creation that was before Adam sinned. But today, we do know the world in which we live is filled with violence and wickedness. Ten seconds on a website, we can see so many things that just make us so discouraged. But as we see that, we recognize that as creation begins and continues to moan from sin, that it is also making the distinction between the perfect creation and the world we live in today much more drastic. And that today is indeed the day of salvation if we will go forth and make disciples. Lord, bless our encounters this week. That as we share the gospel, even though it may be faulty, 
uh, or feeble by our own attempts, that your spirit would begin to do a work in the lives of those that we've talked to. And people will come to know you by the droves in our community. And will begin to serve you in this church to reach others and to glorify you. Lord, we love you and we thank you because you didn't just let us waller in our corruption, but you've made a way for redemption. And we celebrate that now as we prepare to take this so vital of an important table. In your son's name we pray. Amen.